Hey guys, welcome to Safe Retreat. This one might be a little bit different. Uh, I decided to upload one of my previous sermons and I thought you guys might take a listen. This was preached August 5th, 2018 and it was titled Live Like Jesus. Enjoy. Hide in safe retreat. Hide in safe retreat. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Well, good. I'm glad. It's been about a year since uh, they let me speak. I must have made someone mad. Uh, I'm just kidding. John is away on a well-deserved vacation with his family, and uh, he's given me the privilege to speak to you this morning. Um, But before we get in, I need to say two thank yous. One, thank you, thank you, thank you, all of you. Uh, Rochelle and I have been immensely blessed by all of you. Uh, I'm so thankful um, for everything that you guys gave, for all that you did in our time of our wedding celebration this last May. And two, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you did for our students this year. Um, You guys donated $1,100 to get our kids to camp. And there's some crazy numbers that are out there about that. And I can talk to you about it later, but God moved at camp. And the only reason that our kids got to go this year was because of you. So thank you. Um, Let's pray as we get into it this morning and uh, then we'll move. Lord, you are good. You are so good, and I pray that uh, we just continue to live like you, that we continue to act and to do uh, what you call us to do, Lord God. Be with us. Uh, Let these words be yours, not mine. Amen. Today I'm going to talk about, and kind of continuing from John, except for not in Ephesians, what it means to live like Jesus. Uh, He's been speaking about what it means to live like Jesus, what it means to love like Jesus, and he will start soon on what it means to share like Jesus. Um, And so I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, John 13 today. So if you have a phone, you can go to the Bible app and under the live section, all my notes are there. They're in the bulletin, as well as the Bibles in front of you. If you guys just want to take one of those home, they're yours. Um, But 1 Corinthians 13, 13 from the message says this, But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do that lead us towards that consummation. To trust steadily in God to hope unswervingly, and to love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. I love that paraphrase. It, it, it explains that passage so differently than some of the other translations. To, to trust steadily, to hope unswervingly, and to love extravagantly. I don't know, the, the verbiage there is great. So there's this couple who was about 22 when they got married. Um, and for much of their lives, they went from apartment to apartment to apartment, finally being able to rent a house. Well, they stepped up in the world from apartment to a home. It's great. Um, they were about 29 when the husband lost his job. Uh, he had been in this company for quite some few years, um, but there's budget cuts. And they looked to him and they said, hey, you're young, you're inexperienced compared to some of our other folks here we got to give you the axe. You'll figure it out. You're still young. So he was fired from his job, and uh, him and his wife, they looked at each other concerned, and they said, you know, well, we'll figure it out. God's got this. We can do it. Um, The husband started to look for work, and just nothing was coming up. Um, He just couldn't find anything sustainable. And so the wife began to look for a second job, because they knew together they needed to figure out how to sustain this life that they had. 
to rent the house to take care of their pets. They wanted to have children in the future. Um, not a few months later, this man uh, had found that he had lung cancer. He went in uh, after coughing and just having terrible, terrible symptoms, and they, after the MRI, said that, hey, we need to take some biopsies, stage two lung cancer. Um, this young couple, similar to myself, you know, they're 29, I'm 26, church was not their biggest priority. It wasn't the first thing that they wanted to do, um, and many late Saturday nights they'd be out partying or out with friends, and so 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning was just a little too early. Um, I don't understand that logic at all, but I guess it was too early for them, and um, they decide, okay, maybe we'll, we'll reach out. We'll go back to our home church, the place that we're known. My parents went there, or not my parents, uh, the, this man's parents had gone there. Uh, the wife's parents had moved after a few years, but they were known. Um, they were known as the kids of these parents. And they returned to church, and the, the pastor had been preaching, and at the end said, if you need prayer, write it down on your request card. And so they did. Pray for us. My, my husband is battling cancer now. He's out of a job. We're trying to make ends meet. Pray for us. So that next week, the prayer was put into the, the, the team, and it went throughout the church, out the email, onto the bulletin, and the church began to pray. Specifically, this older couple, they, they found peace and solace, and they began to just pray over these people every single day. They prayed. That's all they did. They prayed. A couple weeks went by, and the couple was able to return to church. Um, you know, the husband was sick. It was hard for them to get out early in the mornings, but they returned to church about two, three weeks later, and uh, another couple who had joined that first couple in praying stepped forth and walked towards them on a Sunday morning after the service and said, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm praying for you and that I love you. And they were greeted with hope in that. They found peace that someone cared. And that couple walked away and they went throughout their next few weeks of struggling and pain and chemotherapy. And finally, three or four weeks later, they were able to return to church, like the classic millennials, right? Maybe once a month. And this third couple, I'd say late 70s, walks forth. Hey, I'm a part of the prayer chain, and I heard your suffering. And we've been praying for you, and we love you. And God has been convicting us to help take care of you, so won't you join us for dinner? And so this younger couple... Um, they pretty much survived off of ramen noodles and Kraft macaroni and cheese up to this point. Gladly accepted. A roast dinner was provided with potatoes and carrots and all the fixings. And of course the sweet tea. They, they eat, ate this meal that the wife prepared and, and sent to them. And they, they enjoyed one another's company. The husband began to ask about their lives. Began to, to find out what they were truly going through. Turns out the wife had accepted a second time job. She started tutoring on the side, teaching English and math. Um, and so her days consisted of 8 a.m. She would go to her first job and work till 5. She would then leave from her first job and drive to the homes of these students and work until about 7 or 8 that same night. The husband, who had been struggling and battling this cancer, was so tired during the day that he couldn't get, even get up to cook a meal for his wife. So when she returned home at 8 every night, she would cook a meal for both of them and then return to bed and start the cycle once more. And this older couple who invited them into their home not only prepared the one roast, beautiful, amazing meal, but 
the wife went to the, the freezer and pulled out six more frozen meals, casseroles, and dishes that they could just throw in the oven and reheat for that week. And then the husband pulled out his checkbook and said, I know how tough it can be to battle cancer. I know how expensive treatments can be. He signed his name, he dated it, and he ripped the check blank for the husband and the wife to use. When I think about this story, as a millennial myself, I read 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and it says, faith, hope, and love. In my mind, I hear those words and I understand those words, but I begin to think about what they might also parallel to. And as a 26-year-old, my brain began to roll and, and to think, and I, I saw faith, hope, and love as thoughts, words, and action. In this story, we have three couples that respond completely differently to the same situation. You have your first couple who responds with faith or thoughts. They've been praying for them. And that's a good thing. The second couple sees the devastation in their life and they too pray. And then they try to give them a hope by telling them that they are loved and that they are prayed for. And this third couple takes the next step and provides love or action. And the story I just told you is fake. I made it up. It might have happened in our society somewhere. It might have happened here at this church, but I made it up because I wanted to prove a point that as a millennial, when I see this word, faith, hope, and love, I see it as thoughts, words, and action. And sometimes in our church, we're a whole lot better at thinking about something or trying to give hope, but sometimes we struggle with acting on what God needs us to do. In my mind, when I think about what it means to live like Jesus, it means that we must have faith and we must have hope. But most importantly, we must have love or action. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, 13 from the message is so important to me because it talks about having trust in the Lord. It talks about having unswerving hope. And most importantly, it talks about loving extravagantly. What does that mean? That word is so vibrant in my mind. To love extravagantly? I think of flowers sometimes in that. I think of bright colors. Extravagant love. What does that mean? And let me, let me, let me get real with you. Faith and hope are not bad things. I'm not saying that you should stop doing those things and start loving. I'm saying you need to continue in your faith and your hope. I love Feed My Starving Children. How many of you have participated in that over the past few years? It's a great organization. In the last Feed My Starving Children, they posted this video about how this food provides hope for communities, hope for children for the future. And that's a great thing that we need to continue to give. We need to continue to pray every day. Do you guys agree with that? Amen. I know we do. And I know you guys pray. I do. We need to continue to not only have hope, but to give hope. We need to live a life that gives people hope for this dark time. Think about all of the junk that's gone on in the last six months. We have to have hope. But most importantly, we have to act. We have to love. I'm just going to say it. 
If you pray and you talk about how you pray, but then you don't act about what you're praying about, I think they're pretty worthless. Because we're supposed to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ who provides faith and hope but also takes action steps in love. I think back to a story um, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and that's John chapter 13. But before I go into it, I want to preface what this story truly means. So if I were to have buckets of water up here, and I were to ask all of you to come forth and have your feet washed by us, and then to turn around and wash the feet of someone behind you, most of you would mutiny, right? You would walk out the doors and say, Trevor, feet are gross. Don't ever speak to me again. Or some of you would say, don't touch my feet because I do not want people touching my feet. It's true. It's, it's a weird thing. We don't understand the true value that Jesus brought here in this story. Maybe some of you do. But let me preface this for those who don't. In the biblical times, for those of you to own shoes, they didn't even have shoes. Let's be real. No Nikes back then. They had sandals. And those were for those who had wealth. And those who did not have wealth were barefooted. And they walked everywhere barefooted, bruising their feet, cutting their feet, caking them in dirt and muck and bile. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. If you guys all look at your feet right now, most of you washed them this morning or last night, I hope. If you didn't, good luck. But if they didn't own sandals, they were walking barefoot, and so their feet were disgusting every day. It didn't matter if you bathed in the morning or bathed that night. Eventually, your feet would become disgusting because of the conditions of the time. And so Jesus here is wearing his rabbi robe. He's wearing the robe. It's not just, a, it's not a bathrobe, okay? This is his, his symbol of power. This is the teacher this is the, the man who knows what he's talking about. And he disrobes, takes off what, what brings him power and sets it down and places a towel around his waist and then gets down onto his hands and knees. The master, the teacher, our Lord, disrobes from his power and takes the place of a slave. You guys have to understand, when you would walk into a home with your bare, disgusting feet, the first thing that would happen is you would step aside and your feet would be washed by a slave. Slavery is still happening today. For those of you who think it's not, it still is. In our culture, in America today, slavery is still real. And these slaves, their job was to wash the disgusting gross, vile, cut, bruised feet of anyone who entered the home. And Jesus takes the place of the slave. Jesus disrobes his authority and takes the place of the slave to wash the disciples' feet. And the disciples first react very like, whoa, no, absolutely not. Because they understand the culture. You are my master. You are my Lord. You are not washing my feet. That is for the slave. And Jesus says to them, if you do not wash my feet, you cannot enter my kingdom. 
and the disciples respond, then don't just wash my feet, wash my head, wash my body, wash my hands, wash all of me. And so we pick up here in chapter 13, verse 12. And it says this, after washing their feet, he put back on his robe. So he goes from being the slave to putting back on his authority, the, the rabbi's robe. Again, not a bathrobe. This is, this is legit. He puts on his robe again and sits down and asks this, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And continues, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their masters. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for acting on them says for doing it, but I think of 1 Corinthians 13, 13, faith, hope, and love, thoughts, words, and action. So I think of today's culture, 2018, it's August 5th, if you guys didn't know, it's already August, it's crazy, Christmas will be here before you know it. If Jesus were to come forth and to kick me off the stage and to begin to preach, or maybe he sat in the pews alongside you. What would his message be today? Would Jesus bring us forth and wash our feet today? Maybe. I don't want to deny that because I might be completely wrong with what I'm about to say. But I think that because our culture is so different than that of the disciples, Jesus might do something a little different. I think Jesus might be in the pews with you. He nudged you. Oh, did you hear what Pastor Trevor just said? And the service would end, and Jesus would come forth to you. Maybe you need to close your eyes to visualize this, that, that you be sitting in your pew that you sit in all the time. You might have carved your name in the seat. It's yours. <laughs> and Jesus is next to you. The service ends, and we are dismissed, and you stand, and Jesus grabs your shoulder. Hey, Trevor. Oh, what's up, Jesus? How are you doing? Good, good. What are you doing for lunch? Nothing. Maybe Rubio's. I think we're doing Rubio's today. So so. I'd like you to come to my house, Trevor. To my home. I own it. It's safe. It's kind of like a castle. It's cool. All right, Jesus. I'll follow you. So I, I go with Jesus to his home. And Jesus opens the doors. And he has a no shoes inside the house rule. So you kick the shoes off again. And you walk in. And there's a grand hall where parties and celebrations are had every single day. Where the angels celebrate. And you walk in and you smell it. Oh, the best food that you can imagine. Might be different for some of you. For me, it's a nice T-bone steak. Wow. Sweet potatoes. Green beans. Sweet tea, Jesus. Oh, thank you. He pulls the chair out and he sits with me and he serves me a plate. He sits across from me and we eat together. And Jesus asks this question, Trevor, are you all right? Oh yeah, Jesus, I'm good. Why? No, 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 really, think about it. Are you okay? I saw that thing happen to you this last week. 
the pain that you had, the suffering you went through. Are you okay? No, Jesus, I'm not. I'm not okay. It hurt. Let me love you. Come here. Let me love you. What can I do for you? Jesus, I need this taken away from me, this pain. I feel like I'm in bondage right now. Please, Lord God, remove it. Anything for you, son. Anything for you. I think if Jesus was in our culture today, if he were to be sitting in the pew next to you when the service ends, Jesus were to tap you on the shoulder, invite you into his safe retreat, the castle, the place where no enemy can come, he would feed you. He would love you. He would care for you. He would ask what you went through this week, what you're struggling with, where you're going to go. Kinsey, three days, you're leaving. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Drive with you probably, right? Jesus would care. He'd be praying for you. He would already know what you have gone through. He would give, he would strive to give you hope that tomorrow will be better, that the future is bright. There are daisies. There is bright yellow yellow colors in room 106 now. And then he would ask what you needed. He would ask what you needed. And he would try his best to fill that need. No doubt in my mind do I believe that. And so now I ask myself, if I want to live like Jesus, what do I need to start doing? Mm, That's a hard question. I could just pour a bunch of hot watered buckets with soap in it and have the whole church get their feet washed instead. Or maybe I tap my neighbor's shoulder. I ask them what their lunch plans are. I invite them into my own home, which is safe. I have two really large dogs that'll defend you. (laughs) I cook a meal with my own money, and I sit with you, and I actually care about what you are going through, church. I actually sit and I wonder, what are you going through, and how can I help you? I'm not a rich person by any means, so I probably can't write the blank check like the man in the story. I probably can't, but like 40 or 50 of us did yesterday, we could host a car wash out in the front for someone who's battling with cancer. And we can invest hours upon our time and get a little sunburn on our nose to serve and to love someone, to to think about them, to pray for them, to find out what is actually going on in their life, to then strive to give them hope. Hey, I promise you, I promise you life gets better. You don't need to end this today. You don't need to give up right now. I promise this life gets better. And then instead of just walking away and hoping that they understand what I mean about this life getting better, I actually turn around and I walk beside them and I help them through the hard times of life so that it does get better. Because so often, church, I see us come in these doors. We have these great services. We have the prayer chain that so many of you are a part of. And we pray for the needs of the people within this church. Maybe we tell them that we're praying for them. Send them a letter. That's good. One more step. The greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is action. And so I ask you, 
understanding this a little bit better, and maybe I just confused you even more, I'm sorry, but understanding this a bit better, what does your life look like this week? Uh, maybe, maybe I need to fix that. What does your life look like right now? When we end, do you rush out the door to get the sweet tomatoes first? When we end, do you sneak out the back because your roast might be burning? When you end, do you sit in the pews hoping someone will come to you? And the thing is, as much as I'm challenging you, church, I'm challenging myself. I need to look in that mirror. Rochelle, what are we going to do different? How are we going to live like Jesus, babe? It's a hard thing to do because it means you have to change. It means that the status quo is no longer good enough. It means that in your life today, tomorrow, and in the future, you must act. You must love. So what does your life look like 10 minutes from now? What does your life look like 10 years from now? Church, let's pray. God, you were good.